Before we get started, let me ask you a question. Is your marketing plan ready for 2021? Do you have a sales funnel that captures email addresses, clearly communicates what you offer, the problem you solve, and why your products matter? If you don't, you need a sales funnel if you want to climb out of this recession and recover with the rest of the economy. If a company has a sales funnel and is reaching out to customers, they are going to grow faster than a company that does not. If you would like to have one made for you, hire one of our StoryBrand certified marketing guides. These marketing experts have spent a week with me where we studied how to create a sales funnel that gets a response. They also have years of marketing experience. I know what it feels like to hire a marketing agent and have them essentially waste your money on a really pretty website that gets no orders. That should not happen to you. If you spend money on marketing, you should get a return. And you can get a return if you hire one of our StoryBrand certified marketing guides. If you'd like to have a guide create a sales funnel for you, just go to marketingmadesimple.com. That's marketingmadesimple.com. Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. My co-host, Dr. J.J. Peterson, will be joining us later. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to my old friends, Mark and Brian Canlis, who run Canlis Restaurant in Seattle. If you've ever been to Canlis, you know it's a fine dining restaurant that overlooks Lake Union. It's a beautiful spot. It's got to be 75 years old. It was passed down from their grandfather to their father and then from their father to them. I have been amazed, though, at how this fine dining restaurant has pivoted during the coronavirus pandemic. I mean, if you think about one business that is probably not going to make it during a global pandemic that the epicenter, at least in the United States, was in Seattle— it's going to be a fine dining restaurant. If you're looking for inspiration on how to shift gears, change direction, and expand your company, today's conversation is going to be terrific. JJ and I will unpack it a little bit later, but right now, let's go to my conversation with Mark and Brian Canlis. They recorded this live at Canlis Restaurant. Mark and Brian, it's great to have you back on. Thank you. Thanks, Don. If there's one thing that can just be fantastic for a fine dining restaurant, it's a global virus pandemic. Yeah. And uh, well, talk me through uh, what was it, March 15th. Actually, for you guys, Seattle was the epicenter early. So it was probably earlier than that. You know, for me, there was some pacing the living room late at night trying to figure out how we're going to stay alive. What was that like for you guys? Brian was pacing the living room because his wife was having a baby. Yeah, that's, we, that's what I remember. We gave birth to our third son. She gave birth. I did very little. You know, at that time, there were only six cases in the United States, and all six of them were within a 20-minute drive of our hospital. It was something we were thinking about. And it wasn't, I think it was 12 or 13 days later that we shut down our dining room for the first time in 70 years. First of all, congrats, Ryan, on having your third son. That just sounds like an awesome experience. And don't want to just zip past that. I zip past it. I'm his yeah. brother, which is... <laughs> did you even know? I did. No, I totally <laughs> knew. And um... 12 days later, you're shutting down the dining room. That's a decision to possibly kill the business. I mean, you know, the margins aren't super high in fine dining. Did it feel like a decision to possibly shut down the business for the sake of a community that maybe not even aware yet of how bad this could get or why businesses need to shut down? 
There was some fear there. Yeah. I mean, we were already seeing numbers decline steadily through March. Okay. So people were getting afraid. Yeah. And in our business, you know, people were getting afraid. They didn't get it. I don't think anyone quite got it until it rolls through your town, your neighborhood, your city. You don't get it. Right. You can read it online and look at the pictures all you want. And that's what we uh, were doing at that time. We were reading about Seattle. Yeah. So I think that there was a fear. But yeah, we, our business, fine dining, when you've got 15, 20 different people coming to your table, it, you know, it's an intimate sort of experience. And so it just sort of dawned on us like, wait a second. I think our what we do for a living is not going to be serving anyone in this coming. Well, pandemic. yeah. And at the numbers that we were experiencing in March of less and less people coming every night, our model doesn't work. Like our restaurant is barely profitable when it's full. So when it's 70% full, it's a real testament to how we run a company. <laughs> so a little bit out of necessity, we said, hey, the writing's on the wall that this is going to get worse, not better. We better figure out a way to survive, be able to pay our employees, be able to pay our mortgage. Yeah, back then it, it was all about keeping jobs. And we literally asked the question, okay, if all of the rules of the game have changed, but we're still in the game then what do we have to do to win this thing? And early on, it was like, all right, we have 115 employees. We need to create a business that in gives, a pandemic. That gives all of them jobs. Playing attention to social distancing, yeah, that gives everyone jobs. And yeah. so that that's where we came up, started coming up. With Which, so the commitment when you shut the doors was, we're not going to lay anybody off. That's right. Yeah. That's the same thing we did. We said nobody gets laid off and no salaries get reduced. The difference uh, may be that we didn't exactly know how we were going to do that. We had to come together as a team and say, we asked one question, what does this make possible? And the answers to those questions allowed us to stay alive and even thrive. Did you know what your game plan was when you shut the doors? Nobody here knew. I don't think anyone knew what they were going to do. And we certainly didn't. But I think you're absolutely right. It was that while a lot of folks were paying attention to what was being taken away from us to ask the question, what is this the perfect opportunity for? I just opened up a lot of doors for us, you know? And so, yes, it's hard to be a fine dining restaurant or any restaurant and or any small business for that matter, maybe with the new constraints of a pandemic. I think that's kind of where our minds first went to was like, well, what can we do? There's still a lot to be the honest truth is this was a really hard time for a country. And also there was a lot to be thankful for in our own personal world. We have a remarkable staff. They had a ton of energy. If we just started counting the blessings as opposed to sort of saying- Throwing you know, in the towel. Yeah, woe is us, we're screwed. We weren't, we were yeah. throwing a curveball and was like, okay, well, how do you hit a curveball? That's, well, that's it, the question It's not just like 115 employees are a liability to us. Like- They're an asset. They're 115 of the most creative, incredible people we know. So, so you say burger joint, seven days go and they did that they literally created a brand new business model well let's talk about how you pivoted i'm curious about that did you bring the staff together and say we're looking for ideas or did uh, you have a leadership team that said we're going to convert a fine dining restaurant into a burger joint and a meal delivery service and all the things that you did how did the the iteration of canlis come about well so the first idea was we're a restaurant on a highway and people don't often know that we're a fine dining restaurant that looks out over this gorgeous view. We're looking at it right now. It's lakes and mountains. But right behind us, this is kind of not super nice, very loud highway. And Cars routinely run into our restaurant. That's not an <laughs> No, no, I know that. We've had six insurance claims in the last six years of cars hitting our restaurant. And I apologize three times, but you seem to keep bringing it up. All to the say, <laughs> this, this idea of the drive-through burger stand 
just fit. But who came up with it? Originally, I think it was our chef Brady who thought it'd be wow. fun to make burgers. We turned that idea into an eight-lane drive-through restaurant where we had a thousand burgers during lunch. So right where where you normally do valet parking and people get out of their cars and their high heels, and you turn that into the place you pick up your burger. Yeah, but even that idea, even a thousand burgers, even lines around the block to get burgers, wasn't enough jobs for all our employees. So we also created a breakfast concept and a dinner concept. How many days from the time you closed your door to the time you're putting a burger in a window at the valet stand? We closed on a Friday night. Saturday. Saturday night. We opened the burgers on a Monday. <laughs> well, because Sunday is our normal day off. So we took our normal day off. Yeah, you got to have a day of rest on. Even a pandemic deserves <laughs> yeah. a day of rest, maybe two. Yeah, but we skipped no days. I think we planned that thing. We first started talking about it like March 4th or 5th. By the 10th, we were committed. We kind of said, this is the move. We got to do it. We got to start making decisions because we don't have that much time. And we more or less put that thing together in six or seven days. And I think we pulled the trigger. We announced it on the 12th. Yeah, that was Monday. On Tuesday, we opened the bagel shed. Okay, so did you realize the burger stand wasn't going to pay everything and so you came up with the bagel shed or was it a multi-pronged plan from the beginning? Well, no, from the beginning, we knew we needed all three to employ all our people. And it was the bagel stand, it was the burger drive-through, and the what else? And then delivery of a four-course dinner in a box to your homes at night. And we turned our wait staff into delivery drivers. So that, that's the cool one. There was no tech for that. So, you know, a lot of restaurants use delivery services, but here we were... A, delivery service were getting crushed. They didn't have any extra margin. And we were trying to create jobs for servers. So it just was like, wait a second, if our server can take the food from the kitchen to your table, they can take the food from the kitchen into their car to your house. To your house. <laughs> but we had seven employees in the streets. Plus a traffic company. Plus a traffic company, plus the police showing up every day, just trying to manage traffic. a couple thousand dollars a day on traffic four management. different directions. <laughs> so like... That's something we never thought about was like, oh, wow, you know, you can't afford to manage the traffic. Yeah. Did it work? I mean, it, you're a month in, you're six weeks into this. Are you able to break even? No, 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 no. We're 10 days in and it's bleeding money. And we bleeding close. is and strong. Brian does the numbers around here. I do the ideas. We lost like $100,000. You know, so it's all perspective, <laughs> right? Like, so for. But you were, out, you were off $100,000, not $600,000. Spending more than we were bringing in. Yeah. And the laws kept changing. Like, our governor issued a stay at home order. It suddenly didn't make sense to invite a thousand people a day to leave their homes and come to our restaurant. It changed the laws for how many people could be in your kitchen and how far away they could be. So, yeah. It was a there were significant levers in business that were being moved almost daily. I don't think that's an exaggeration. This and wasn't so, just a curveball. This was a wiffle ball coming at you, going all different directions. But what was cool, what we discovered, because we launched these three concepts, we looked at the third one, the dinner delivery service, that had legs. They're like, okay, what if we close the first two bagel and burgers and put our whole hearts and efforts yeah. and creativity around dinner delivery? And we went from 200 dinners a night to 1,000 dinners a night of delivery. It totally worked. And that worked. You did a great job publicizing it, getting word out on social media. You actually had the piano player in the dining room of Canlis where you could actually watch. You could put that on your big screen and eat a Canlis meal with the piano music in the back. It was really creative stuff. One thing that I wanted to ask you about that uh, some of our listeners will probably wonder about is I saw this on your social media because I follow you guys on social media, but... I also read about it in the Seattle newspaper. I think I read about it in the New York Times. Am I wrong about that? No, uh, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Esquire Mac. How did you get, did you hire a publicist or you guys just have that much goodwill? 
they found us. I mean, yeah, I mean, look, we, I, we're we don't not, have a publicist. We don't have a We're not in the business of controlling the press. We were really fortunate to get that kind of attention. And I would even, I think, say maybe that was too much attention. That's to say, we were the first restaurant to do this. Seattle was the first city to do this. And there hadn't been 60 trillion headlines about this. So it just was really fortuitous timing that everyone needed to hear a story. Everyone needed to know what was happening in small business. Everyone needed to know what the effect was. And at that time in this country, we were paying attention to this because we didn't know what would happen to our economy, what would happen to your employees. There was just a lot of story that needed to be told. You know, I was reading those stories about restaurants that that I knew of, and they were not going to come back. And they knew that within three weeks. So this is a fighter's story that you guys live through. I want to get back to it, though, because, you know, you cut down the burger service, you cut out the bagel stand, you doubled down on the meal delivery. Then the next thing I hear is you've got a crab shack. So explain to me where the, and there was also a drive-in movie theater in the parking lot. What was next? The crab shack or the drive-in movie theater? We did CSA delivery. So we, all, all of our. That's right. Because the grocery stores were hard and uh, the farmer's markets were closed down. We and did bottle service. We did cocktails delivered to your home. That was the one that we saw that we were envious. That we wish you could have shipped that to Nashville. And then we did drive-in movie theater. We did Wait, stop. Back show. up. You, so you did that stuff. Was the drive-in movie theater before the crab shack? Yes. So walk. how do you do the drive-in movie theater in your parking lot? Yeah, that was a fundraiser. We just thought, wouldn't it be cool? I mean, again. A fundraiser for who? The uh, Black the, Farmers Collective. So, so you were we, raising money for other people while you're hemorrhaging money. This is really, a, they're going to make a movie about this. I think um, <laughs> if, if they do, I don't know how many people are going to watch it. But No, um, it's going to be it's going to be John Goodman and Roseanne Barr are going to play the two of you. It's going to be fantastic. I do think one of the questions here that I would love to get to that, that we've been wrestling with is, you know, what role does a for-profit business have in a pandemic? And I got to talk to Rick Steves the other night for Canlis Community College, which is the 10th idea. We haven't gotten there. but <laughs> And, you know, I so admired his take. He said, look, I'm a fan of capitalism. It's not perfect, but it's benefited me. It came into this thing with a lot of privilege, and it's worked out for me. And I think right now that maybe this isn't the time for me to be making money. Maybe it's the time to be pouring into the community. And, and Canlis asked the same question. And so for about five of the things we've done, we've done them as fundraisers. And uh, we're about to pass a quarter of a million dollars raised for charity since the pandemic started. So I don't know if that's good or bad or indifferent, but I'll say this. I think there's room in this time to explore and wrestle with the mission and the heart of every for-profit company. What has that done to your culture? What has that mentality done to your culture in a time when you know, you've joined arms and you're saying, okay, we're going to survive. We're not going to let anybody go here. And then you've doubled down on that and say, we're actually going to give a quarter million dollars away. We're going to do some things that raise a quarter million dollars for people who are suffering even more than we are. What does that do for your team? It helped. I think when the pandemic hit, it tested the values of our company. And it really is testing, I think, the values of us as leaders if we just want to just be right on the nose about this. So they're not your values if they don't cost you something. And suddenly we found ourselves saying to ourselves, Look, if generosity is one of our values, and we think of that as not a financial term, we think of that as like a condition of the heart. And so if that's our value pre-pandemic, when we're running a really successful restaurant, is it not our value the next week when we don't have a business, we're not making any money, we don't know what we're doing, we don't have jobs? Why is that suddenly not a value just because it's inconvenient for us? So suddenly if generosity is a condition of your circumstance and not a condition of your heart, well, then I just gonna call bullshit on the whole thing and say it's not a value of yours. So we really wanted to wrestle with like, 
okay, we're still intimately involved with our neighborhood, with this community, right. with a lot of what's going on. So when, when all of the protesting happened, we had to ask ourselves the question, why are we not involved? Why are we not? This is a bingo show one night raised 40, 50, I don't know, $1,000 for charity. Something, and, like, something like that. And it was just like, we don't have a restaurant. For some odd, weird reason, we find ourselves hosting a bingo show. <laughs> we got all these people watching. Why not say out loud, tonight we're going to pay attention to racism. We're a couple of white dudes that run a restaurant. And if we don't ask the question ourselves, what are we doing here? And so anyway, I think just sort of inviting people into this moment of being present with what is a hard time? How do we stay present to what is real right now? What's real is that we can't really be a fine dining restaurant. What's real is I had amazing staff and they're like, put me in coach. You know, you talk about it, it, your values have to cost you something. First of all, what were the fundraisers? You had a bingo night, you had a drive in. So we did 10 weeks of a weekly variety show with music and comedy (laughs) and not hide, but we put bingo cards in everyone's. Thousands of bingo cards went out every week. In everyone's delivery boxes. And then you could play at home and win prizes. Again, we were trying to figure out how do we differentiate ourselves as what does it look like to bring fine dining into people's homes and how do we create entertainment, joy, levity, connection, not just food in a box. Yeah, so but inviting a family to ex- play a game experience. together is service to them in so many ways the same as maybe fantastic. a glass of wine and a fancy bottle. So sure. and putting a candle in there, inviting them to light a candle, it literally so yeah, centers everyone. We had on, fresh flowers in every box. Like it was, you're not just getting food. You don't come to Camelot because you're hungry. Like you come because you need yeah. tonight to matter, right? It, there, there's a story uh, that we're a part of that we're trying to enter into. So bingo allowed people to stop and pause, to give them an excuse to laugh and play a game. And suddenly we're, we got a bingo show. So it, we used that as a way to raise money for a couple of uh, nonprofits. You recently launched the latest iteration of all this creativity, and that is uh, Canlis Community College. And it's a fine dining restaurant that has started a community college. Can you explain to us the concept? <laughs> we thought this was an amazing time for learning. Uh, it was fall. Our outdoor <laughs> crab shack restaurant was covered in forest fire smoke and the rain was coming. And we were like, that's not going to yeah, work. Time anymore. for something new. But this is pre-locust before the locust swarmed. Yeah, for real. Uh, <laughs> then the lake turned to blood. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think back to school is on everyone's minds. And we were just kind of commenting, this is an amazing time to be a learner. And like here we are sitting back in our homes, quarantined, or basically in this posture of watching, of reading, of observing the world around us. And there's a lot of question marks. You know, what's going to happen in the election? What's going to happen with a divided country over race? What's going to happen with this and that? And we thought, what if what if we took an opportunity to learn? And so this isn't Canlis Community College, isn't Canlis no, teaching. Yeah, and it's, then invited the city to come along. Yes, Brian and I go into school. So like it's we're the students. <laughs> of course you are. Not just food and wine stuff. Like that's fun. No, like interview a curator of a of a museum to learn what it is about sort of the Pacific Asian Islander influence on Seattle. Or yeah, or invite the best barbershop in the city to teach us how to do home haircuts. See this, Don? I rock this. Thing. Yeah, <laughs> it looks good. It looks good. You did that yourself. You you cut that yourself. Yeah. <laughs> or we have the Pacific Northwest Ballet doing an aerobics class in our dining room to 1980s we music. Don't Business doing aerobics class. We don't know what we're doing. But the, yeah. the idea is like, what if we just invite people into a little levity, a little joy, or invite them into learning about something that 
maybe they don't know that much about. Yeah. It's just this sort of like, what if we could spend this time in a posture of learning and creativity? What if we partnered up with the zoo and the aquarium and just invited kids to explore, you know, yeah. nature? Like, what are the things we can do to kind of... But we, we started leaning pretty heavily into the college idea. So we also launched intramural sports. We launched a camp store. We launched frozen cafeteria. TV dinners in the cafeteria. We gotta send you a TV dinner, Don. They're frozen. It's the first time Camelots can yeah. ever send food anywhere because we've never done anything frozen we, before. We launched field trips. We launched home ec classes, social studies classes. It's been... The whole thing's on our website. You can check it out. But And your staff is running this? Your wait staff is helping out? Yeah. And yeah. we've had 11,000 students Somewhere so far around. enroll. Wow. You needed 3,000 to make it work. I remember the numbers that you kind of shared publicly. You're at 11 now? That's right. We decided to make it a fundraiser for Fair Start. These are some guys in Seattle. Remarkable work in the homelessness and food insecurity space. And we just thought, all right, well, if we can pay our bills... If we can pay the mortgage, keep the lights on, yeah. afford the staff. Well, all great colleges are nonprofit institutions. Yeah. So like literally everyone that signs up right now, it's twenty five dollars that goes straight to Fair Start. Like we don't we're not keeping it. We just thought, you know, why not like let the I don't know, the power and the magic of that idea out. And I think sometimes when when you're trying to keep the money in your pocket that it could be like a wet blanket to a really good idea. So that became a fundraiser also. <laughs> Can you guys do like a for-profit idea? <laughs> the next one. We think the next one's for profit. We're just going to try to run, run a restaurant again. Five years from now, you know, the dining room is back open and uh, nobody's thinking about, or at least worried about the pandemic. Things are back to quote unquote normal. What stays from this season, do you think? What could you predict will still be here because you guys went through this experience? The joy and the camaraderie and the bonding in the staff right now. Mm -hmm. e either you were here for this or you weren't. And it's just this sort of bellwether moment that, I'll just tell you, like, I remember being in the military when 9-11 happened. That's what I was going to say. And it's like such just feel that sucker punch and no one knows what's going on. But in the military, we knew what we were doing. We, we had a checklist for this and it felt good to be like, okay, here we go. We trained for this. And I feel like the pandemic was something similar where so much of this country is reeling from just the devastating news of the reality of this disease, right? And then to come together as a team and say, you guys, I think there's something we can do here. I think we have a role to play. Do you want to play it with us? I, it feels like we've deployed into this crazy non-restaurant world. Yeah, with um, a mission to put smiles on people's faces in a hard time. And we are succeeding in that. It fills you up. It brings you together. You know, a good news brings health to the bones, you know, that, that statement. And I think it's that. Overall, it has formed, I think, the character of this team and of the two of us and, and the restaurant in so many ways that'll reach far into the future. Mark and Brian Cantless, you've always been an inspiration to me, but I think you've taken that inspiration to the next level. Thanks for being on today. Thanks, Don. So cool to be with you. Thanks, Don. JJ, quite inspirational. I love them so much. <laughs> They're really creative guys. Beyond. I mean, we got to go to their restaurant. We've talked about this before. Yeah. And the little things that they even do while you're there that are born out of a spirit of generosity and that right. they want people to have an amazing experience. I mean, that is what I have so it many can, You know, the business of part of my mind just keeps going. Doesn't scale. That yeah. doesn't scale. <laughs> <Yeah>. Can't duplicate <laughs> that. Doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. You're going to lose your shorts. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And, yeah. And I think they like living on that edge. Yeah. 
I think they get in a little bit of adrenaline rush saying, let's do something a little bit crazy mm-hmm. and from the heart yeah. and generous. And, you know, you know, there's part of uh, the James Beard Award and the Michelin star, all that kind of stuff is um, people don't want to hear it, but there's a little bit of lobbying that takes place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> those guys have never really done that. Mm-hmm. They've never really lobbied for those awards. Yeah. But they get the Grand Award in Spectator Magazine for their wine list. They got the James Beard Award for customer service. And then I think their chef won it as well. Yeah. And I don't think they lobbied for it. I just think the amount of good press yeah. that they got differentiated yeah. them from other really great restaurants. Yeah. And now what differentiates them from other really great restaurants is that they're still alive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a number of friends who work in the restaurant industry, not just servers, but work yeah. on the marketing side and work in management. And so many of them are just shut down. They shut yeah. down early and they still haven't opened back up. Yeah. And God bless them. I'm sure they will open back up and yeah. new iterations of the restaurants will come online and they'll be really, really amazing. Yeah. There's all sorts of inspirational stories that are going to come out of this pandemic, but this is one of them. And I think there's a lot for us to learn here. That For me, the lesson that I take away is, Don, are you living on the edge in terms of your generosity? Mm, we do all sorts mm-hmm. of generous things. Mm-hmm. Business Made Simple and StoryBrand. We do all sorts of generous things. But I don't know that, that I personally put us out on the edge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? When it comes to giving, do we give away a quarter million dollars to charity or do we build the safety net so that everybody gets to keep their jobs? Yeah. You know, I kind of go, I'll build a safety net. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And, you know, there's wisdom both ways. But to me, the line that, uh, you know, I think it was Mark who said, uh, you know, if your values aren't costing you something, you have to question whether or not they're really your values. And so they, they, I think they intentionally like moving into a place where their values cost them something. Well, and there's interesting research, too, on fulfillment from serving others or serving yourself, right? That Mm, if I go out and I buy a car and... I get great joy out of that car. The next time I buy a car, I actually have diminished joy. That actually there's a diminishing return on the amount of joy when I, quote unquote, treat myself. Right, right, right. (laughs) So if I go to spa one day, it may be amazing. Day two, it's actually a little less. That's what the research shows. Yeah. So the moral of the story is buy a car and then the next day go to a spa. 100%. (laughs) Treat yourself every day. But But treat yourself differently. 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 I know where you're going. (laughs) (laughs) What I'm saying is you need to give me gift cards to a spa. But what then the research also shows that actually when you are generous to other people, you do not There's no have diminishing, diminishing return and joy. That's yeah. really fascinating. And so it's not just for them. I mean, I think that's a wild, fun like way to live. I'm so drawn to that spirit and to yeah. that adventure and to that generosity. But there's actually research that says that you will live a happier life if you live a life that isn't, I mean, you don't want to be codependent and always right, 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 working right, right. on other yeah. people's joy. And you do need to take care of yourself. But there's actually a law of diminishing returns on joy if you serve others regularly or serve yourself regularly. There's a difference between mm-hmm. the If you're the generous or not. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love it. Well, there's the takeaway from this week. Listen, before we sign off, know that the podcast name is going to change come January 1. That's coming up really, really quick, about 10 weeks away. We are changing the name of this podcast to Business Made Simple. I've got a book coming out January 19th called Business Made Simple. Story Brand will still exist. It's still alive and well. It's a great marketing framework, a great workshop. You can still hire one of our Story Brand certified coaches. 
But StoryBrand will become the marketing education wing of a broader university, business-made simple university. That's going to be the mothership. And so we are changing the name of the podcast. You do not have to resubscribe. You'll stay subscribed. But when you hear JJ and I say business made simple, it is not because the board kicked us out and we started a new company, <laughs> although they should. <laughs> no, no. It's because no. we decided We're to change the together. name <laughs> as a strategic move. It's all your same favorite characters, though the format will be very different. And I think you're going to be surprised and delighted at the amount of business education you get from the new format and the new name, Business Made Simple. So keep an eye out for that. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's latest record, Dive Deep Hushed, on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. 